Hey everyone, and welcome to Questions. I'm with Pastor Joel. How are you doing today? Doing well. I'm excited. We're answering your questions on this podcast, and uh, we have an interesting question from Rachel today asking, how much do you love Pilgrim's Progress? <laughs> no, so, I'm, so much. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, no, but Rachel asks today, how can I effectively fight against idolatry in my heart? That's from Rachel today. Thank you, Rachel, for writing in. Yeah, thanks, Rachel. Great question. How can I effectively fight against idolatry in my heart? Well, first, I'm encouraged just by the question because it, uh, it signifies that you are seeking to be sanctified by the Holy Spirit and further and further conformed into the image of Christ and that you're recognizing that sin does not simply lie in the realm of our outward behaviors, but that sin originates beneath the surface in the depths of our hearts. And the heart in the Bible is used in, in different ways, but often it's used to, um, to indicate the central decision-making component of, of a person. Right? The, the heart is, um, it's not just the emotional factory, Right, we, we do that a lot in, I think, the Christian world today. We bifurcate the mind and the heart, right? And so we'll say, well, you got a, you got a good mind, and you, you know, you like theology and you like doctrine, but you, you know, your heart doesn't seem to be that intimate or passionate with the Lord, which is, uh, it's really, that's, um, it's really uh, a Gnostic, it's, it's a heresy. It's a heretical divorcing of the mind and the heart. The Bible's clear. Jesus says, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so heart and mind are both present. And there's nothing in the Bible that ever indicates uh, even the possibility of loving God with our mind, but not our hearts, or vice versa, loving him with our heart, but not our mind, right? That I could somehow be passionate about Jesus without knowing Jesus. Um, if anything is possible, it would be possible to know doctrinal tenets about the Lord without having passion for him, but you certainly can't have passion for a God that you do not know. And so all that being said, the heart, again, it's, it's not, it's not heart is emotions, mind is thoughts. No, the heart is, is the central decision making factory of the person. It's what ultimately is going to guide the person in all of their decisions and all of their leanings and where a person is going to to traverse where they're going is going to be ultimately dictated by the heart. It's the steering wheel of the human being. And so uh, the fact that you are recognizing that and fighting sin um, at that level is so, 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 so encouraging. It's, it's like a nation saying that we don't want to wait until the enemy is on our soil in our backyard. Um, but rather, we want to be proactive. Uh, we want to um, we want to go on the offense as a good defense. So, all that being said, uh, at the level of the heart, really, what we're getting at is what the person believes. I addressed some of this in um, our most recent question, speaking of anxiety. Right? What does a person believe, and how does that influence the way that they live? Well, I'm going to go a little bit deeper uh, with this particular question. So, uh, the power of belief. Let's let's look at a scripture here. This is Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. It says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving, there it is, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. So the heart leads. Wherever the, whatever the heart is believing or 
disbelieving, whatever the whatever tenets, core tenets the heart is committed to is ultimately going to guide and lead, direct the whole person. And so if you have an unbelieving heart, it's going, that heart is going to lead you to fall away from the living God. Now notice that there's there's two descripting terms that, that ultimately are pointing towards what kind of heart this person possesses. So again, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. Take care, be careful, be on the defense, brothers. Now, brothers in this context, it's I don't think it's just indicating non-believers. I think it's talking about Christians. And so even for the Christian who's born again, who has a regenerate heart, right, who, who loves the Lord, even the Christian needs to be careful. They need to be on the defense. They need to take care lest there be found in them. Not just an unbelieving heart, but the text says an evil unbelieving heart. According to this text, an unbelieving heart is an evil heart. An evil heart is an unbelieving heart. These two descriptive terms are synonymous. They're one and the same. To, to be unbelieving is to be evil. And to be evil is ultimately rooted. Evil is rooted in unbelief. It's an unbelieving heart. And the result of all of this, an evil unbelieving heart will it's going to drive you off a cliff it's going to lead you to fall away from the living god what we believe determines where we go it determines who we are it determines what we do how we live all these kinds of things so think of it in stages at the core we have the heart and what it believes is it trusting jesus is it treasuring jesus or is it trusting and treasuring something or someone else so Belief. That's that's kind of that's the bottom line. That's the foundation, the heart and what it believes. Now, what we believe is going to influence what we desire. It's also going to influence even even desires that the Bible wouldn't say are wrong. All right. Desires that are not inherently sinful in and of themselves. What we believe is still going to ultimately influence how we go about achieving, trying to gain our desires. Right. So what we believe and what we disbelieve in our heart, the core of who we are, is going to influence what we desire and how we go about fulfilling those desires. And, and that, from there, it's going to influence how we think. And how we think is going to influence how we feel. And how we feel is going to influence how we live. So your outward behaviors and actions, it's not just attacking. You're so right with this, Rachel. It's not just, it's not just going to war against sinful behaviors and actions because how I behave and how I act is influenced by how I feel, my emotions. So behaviors are going to be influenced by emotions. Emotions are going to be influenced by thoughts. Thoughts are going to be influenced by desires and desires are going to be shaped, if not even dictated, by belief. What do I believe? An unbelieving heart is going to drive me off a cliff. An unbelieving heart is an evil heart that would lead me to fall away from the living God. So what we have to do here is shape belief. How do I go to war in my heart against idols? How do I grow in conformity to the image of Christ, grow in sanctification by the Holy Spirit, by mortifying, that is, putting to death idolatry in my heart? I must, by God's word, shape my belief. I must grow in right belief. Right belief. So here are four things that you should believe about God. Um, I think that these originated from a guy named Tim Chester. He's got some great material 
on this. So I don't want to pass them off as though um, I created them, but I think that they are just universally true. And there are a lot of other guys such as myself who've used this material that I believe it was Tim Chester who first originated it, uh, but have expanded it and used it and, and applied it to uh, other realms and other facets. And so I want to give Tim Chester um, credit for the original idea. Um, he calls them four eternal truths of God, or for short, you could call them the four G's. Here they are. God is great. God is glorious. God is good. And God is gracious. Great, glorious, good, and gracious. Let me break them down quickly because I've already spent a little bit of time on this one. God is great, meaning God is omnipotent and God is omniscient, meaning God is all-powerful and God is all-knowing. God is sovereign. Now, that's one of the first things we have to believe about God. We, do we believe in a sovereign God? The late, great R.C. Sproul used to say, if there's one maverick molecule in all of the universe, we're in danger. One maverick molecule is all it takes to put your life in danger. I, all the time I hear people say, well, you know, I, I don't believe God's sovereign over everyone, but I, I don't need God to be sovereign over everyone and everything all the time. All, all I need to worry about is myself, and I'm submitted to his will. Well, that's great. You may be submitted to the will of God, but if your neighbor is a serial killer and they're not submitted to the will of God, you're in trouble. Uh, it, it's nice to know that, that regardless of whether or not somebody makes a conscious choice to submit to the Lordship of Christ, that Christ is still Lord, that Christ is sovereign in his Lordship over all, regardless of whether or not that person willingly and eagerly and joyfully submits to his Lordship, whether or not that person even acknowledges the Lordship of Christ or the existence of Christ, to know that Christ, to know that God is sovereign over all things is an immense comfort to us. So the first thing that we need to know, we need to believe at the heart level that God is great. He's sovereign over all things. And according to Romans chapter 8, he is working all things. That's good things, bad things. That's blessing and suffering. It's success and failure. God is working all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Again, for the good, God gets to decide what's good. All right, so that's good by God's standards. That's good defined by God. And so he's working all things for our eternal good, for our eternal blessing, our eternal safety and security and well-being for those who love him. All right, so if I believe that, if I believe that God is great, then, then I don't have to have the idol of control. See, there are core idols and surface idols, right? Anything can be a surface idol, right? I'm using this term loosely. You, you, you could have money, you could have sex, you could have marriage, you could have, um, I don't know, reputation, popularity, TV, working out. I mean, it could be anything, food, anything can be a surface idol. But a, but a core idol, the way that I'm using this terminology, a core idol is, is something that ultimately, like a root it would attach itself to some of these surface things, right? So money may be the surface idol, but it's because there's a core idol that, that, that this is springing up from, right? Root and branch, so to speak. Now, the core idol, if I don't believe that God's great, the core idol that's present there is ultimately going to be the idol of control. See, if God's not in control, I want control. If you don't believe in a sovereign God, then typically... 99 times out of 100, the next best suited candidate for most people to be in control, if God's not, is them. They want to be in control. 
And so then this quest for control in order to fulfill this, this perceived lack of safety, this perceived lack of security, right? You want to be safe. You want to be secure. You want to be okay. And so because God's not going to be able to achieve that security for you, because God's not sovereign over all things, you're going to try to achieve it. And you're going to try to, with control, your own personal control, control all of your surroundings, all of your relationships, all of your circumstances, your money, your bank account, you know, all these kinds of things, your marriage, your children. And you're going to find yourself lashing out, right? It's going, to, it's going to work up the chain. So because you don't believe that God is great, you don't believe that God is sovereign, you're trying to take control. And because you're trying to take control, all of a sudden it's causing you to desire certain things that you shouldn't desire or go about fulfilling good desires in wrong ways. And it's causing you to think a wrong way. It's causing you to feel a wrong way. And it's going to cause you to behave a wrong way. You're going to be overly strict in your parenting. You're going to lash out in anger when you should have been patient, all these kinds of things. And so you got to believe that God's great. You got to believe that he's sovereign. You got to believe that God's glorious. What that means is the word glory in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, it, it, it carries with it the connotation of weightiness, that God matters. God is significant. See, if I don't believe that God matters, that his opinion, what he thinks and feels toward me matters more than, than anyone else, then, then the core idol, again, that's going to take that the place of, of, of God being glorious is going to be the approval of man. I'm going to be a people pleaser. I'm going to be a slave to the approval and acceptance of man. I'm going to want everybody with everything all the time to think well of me. And it's going to cause me to think a certain way and feel a certain way and live a certain way. And so all these behaviors, right? So many people are battling sin at the surface level. I, I have bad behaviors. I know I need to change that. Well, that's good, but but dig deeper. Why do you have those bad behaviors? Well, because you've got wrong emotions. You, you feel wrong. Well, why do you feel wrong? You feel wrong because you're thinking wrong. Why do you think wrong? Because you're desiring wrong. That's James, right? James says, when someone is tempted, let no man say when he is tempted that he's being tempted by God. For God does not tempt us with sin, nor is God tempted. But each man is led astray by his own desire, right? So it's our desires that are springing up and all this. And, and how do we change what we desire? How do we shape desire? Belief. So you got to believe that God's great. Or, or are you going to have the idol of control? It's going to shape your whole life. You got to believe that God's glorious, or you're going to have the idol of the approval of man. It's going to, you're going to be a slave to what people think, and it's going to cause you to live a certain way, think a certain way, feel a certain way. You also got to believe that God is good. Now, when we speak of God being good in this framework, these four eternal truths, four G's, we're not saying that God is good, meaning that he's loving. We're going to attribute that to him being gracious, the last G, if you will. When we say that God is good in this context, we're saying God is good like God is good like a, a bone-in, dry-aged ribeye. God is good, meaning he satisfies. It, it's the Psalms, right? In his right hand are pleasures forevermore. In his presence is fullness of joy. God is good, meaning God satisfies our souls. Jesus is the treasure hidden in a field. He's the pearl of great price. He, See, a lot of people, they believe God's gracious, but they don't believe he's good. So, meaning they believe that God is loving, but he's boring. So they'll go to God for acceptance, but they'll go to sin for fun. I would say that again. A lot of people, they'll, they'll go to God for acceptance, but they'll go to sin for pleasure. 
for fun. See, if I don't believe that God satisfies, if I don't believe that God is good, then again, the core idol on, on this one is pleasure and comfort. And again, the surface idols can be limitless, right? It could be vacation. It could be anything can be an idol. Vacations aren't inherently wrong. It's not wrong to be rich, right? It's the love of money. It's the love of money. It's trusting and treasuring money that is an idol, that is sin. So, so money's not wrong. Vacations aren't wrong. Physical health's not wrong. Marriage isn't wrong. But all these surface things can become idols because there's that core idol. And the core idol is you trust and treasure pleasure more than God. And why? Because of belief. It's always belief. You don't believe that God is good. You may believe he's great. He's powerful. You may believe that he's glorious, right? That, that his opinion of you matters more. And you may even believe this last one, that he's gracious, right? That he loves you and accepts you because of Christ and his finished work on Calvary. But you don't believe that he can satisfy. And so when you're feeling bored, when you're feeling empty, even though that you have a God that loves you and a God who protects you and a God who has a, a, a good opinion towards you, you just don't have a God that's much fun. You don't have a God who's really that fulfilling. And so you got to go to something else. The last one, the last of the four G's. God's great, glorious, good, and gracious. When we say that God's gracious, we're saying that God loves us. And that he loves us despite our sin. He loves us in the midst of our failure. He accepts us on behalf of another. He accepts us upon not our works, which are always flawed and always incomplete. But he loves us based on the perfect and finished work of Jesus Christ. Now, if I don't believe that, I think the core idol here is significance. A little bit different than God being glorious. If I don't believe God's glorious, the core idol is the approval of man. I want to be liked. But if I don't believe that God's gracious, I think it's, I want to be significant. Now, they can correlate. But but I've encountered individuals in pastoral ministry that they're like, you know what, I don't even care if people like me. I just want to like me. Have you ever felt that way? Right? Your problem isn't necessarily being accepted by others. Your problem is you don't accept yourself. You're like, even if nobody liked me, if I just could be confident that, that, I, that I matter, that I'm significant, that I'm doing something meaningful with my life, that, I, that I, I contain some measure of gifting and talent and value, then I could be happy. Well, I, that denies really the grace of God. Because the grace of God says that he created, I mean, the gospel is that God created man with inherent value. He didn't create human beings as trash. We're, we're, we're made in his image. But through sin, we, we took that value and we threw it away. And the cross restores value. Now, unbelievers have dignity. There is such a thing as just inherent human dignity, whether you're a Christian or not, because you're made in the image of God. But the value of humanity is image bearers of the living God. It has been marred. It has been, it has been tanked. It has been lost. It's been compromised. And so how do we get it back? Well, by reminding ourselves that deep down inside, we're really talented and really significant and really gifted. No. Christ is really talented. Christ is really significant. Christ is good. Christ is righteous. And Christ, his righteousness, his value, his significance has been given to me 
by grace. God is gracious. See, if I don't believe that God is great, glorious, good, and gracious, my four core idols is I'm going to want to take control. I'm going to want the approval of man. I'm going to idolize pleasure and comfort. And I'm constantly going to be on this never-ending quest for personal significance and value. And those core idols will express themselves in a host of surface idols. And all of that will shape my desires. It'll shape my thoughts. It'll shape my emotions. And it'll shape ultimately my behaviors and actions. So how do I fight idolatry, sin, at the level of the heart? Through the word of God, I come to believe rightly and biblically who God really is and what he's done through Jesus Christ on my behalf. Belief is the ticket. Start there. Well, thank you, Pastor Joel. And thank you, Rachel, for that question. I know the four Jesus has been a, a huge help in my walk with Christ. And we just want to encourage you, if you're watching on any of our social media platforms, write us in the comment section uh, any questions you have that you'd like to see answered on next episode of Questions. I know if you're on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, just write us in the comment section there and we'll get to that on future episodes. We'll see you next time on Questions. As a special thank you for your gift of any amount, we'll be happy to send you a free digital book from our store. To access this offer, visit rightresponseministries.com offer. We highly recommend Pastor Joel's book, Am I Truly Saved? If you or someone you know has wrestled with doubts about the love of God, this would be a great resource. As a reminder, to get this offer, go to rightresponseministries.com offer. And thank you for your generous support.